Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of This Week's Episode. I am your host, Evan Goldstein, and with me as always is the ever-exceptional Karen Randazzo. This is like the Super Bowl for people who don't know what the Super Bowl is. And the always extraordinary Chris Randazzo. It's the day you'll take your final breath, Sayajin. We here on this week's episode talk television, so sometimes we do get a little spoilery. Uh, fair warning, if you do not want the Ranch, Dragon Ball Super, the Tony Awards, or a couple of old episodes of Chuck spoiled, please go check them all out, come back, and we'll you just listen to us to make fun of them or just and be entertaining to ourselves and probably no one else. So, um... Where do I want to start? I'm going to start with me because I, all right, I recently watched uh, a rewatch of that 70s show. I was working my way through that 70s show and I enjoy that show quite a bit. You thought to yourself, I need more Ashton Kutcher in my life. <laughs> well, Where can I find more Ashton Kutcher? See, but it's not even that. If it was just Ashton Kutcher, I probably would have passed. It's Ashton Kutcher <coughs> and Danny Masterson. Now, Danny Which Masterson. Which one was he? Hyde. Hyde. Uh, oh, okay. 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 All right. And All right. I always liked Hyde. I and then you was... toss uh, Sam Elliott in there. I, I, you're <laughs> supposed to have a winning combo right there. But. <laughs> Are you telling me this show is not good because it's already been renewed for season two? Well, it's a Netflix show. So that was pretty much in the bag. It was probably very, <laughs> very cheap to make. And Kutcher can't be cheap. Doesn't doesn't Ashton Kutcher demand like four billion dollars a second or on, on air or something uh, ridiculous? I don't know that he's worth that anymore. Yeah, when was I the last know. time he, we saw him actually on well, he, air? He did do the last like whatever seasons of Two and a Half Men. Yeah, and I seem to remember him being like obscenely expensive because he was like, I have more Twitter followers than anyone else on Earth. Aren't I awesome? I'm Ashton Kutcher. Buy my cameras. Buy my book. (laughs) Buy my book. (laughs) Well, as it seems to be with you guys as well, I thought this was a winning combo, and it was going to be worth the watch. I was mistaken. Um, It turns (laughs) out that when when you take Ashton Kutcher, you add in some Danny Masterson, throw a sprinkle of Sam Elliott on top, and add in a really bad Southern accent on all of them, you fail miserably okay the story the, ashton kutcher plays a, a character named colt bennett who is i think he said he was 34 years old and he's still trying to be a professional football player uh he's pretty much screwed up his entire life and the show starts off with him returning to his family ranch because he has a tryout for like a minor league football team in denver so he needed a place to crash for a couple of days, and his his father, Bo, is a real tough-as-nails kind of cowboy, and he owns a ranch that, you know, he's trying to keep afloat. And apparently they had a very, very bad year, and they're going to lose the farm, and, and Danny Masterson, who plays Jameson, um, they, they call him Rooster the entire show. Um, what, is what are these characters' last names? Bennett. Uh, see, I was hoping it was something dumb like Rancher. No, Ranch. it's Bennett. Uh, the old, old wordplay thing, his name would be Rooster Ranch or <laughs> some bullshit like that. And it was. It, it, I wouldn't have been surprised if it if it was that, because the amount of 
heavy-handed sitcom jokes that were slewn throughout this entire episode was is was mind-wobbling. They made okay. There was an the UGG joke. Wobbles. Like like I I, I want to say five minutes into the episode, someone makes fun of the fact that Ashton Kutcher is wearing UGGs because they're not real boots, or uh, so says Sam Elliott. Uh, they returned to the UGG joke. I counted it six times. Boy, uh, that uh, sounds really ugly. Yeah, yeah. UGGs are not that oh. funny. Uh, it it was just not good. <laughs> it was not good. I, I this was a swing and a miss by Netflix. Um, that you joke look at was it? a swing and a miss. Did you look at it and say, "Ugh"? <laughs> No, okay, that one was better. A, that was better, but you're still <laughs> not up to his standards. Um, I, there's absolutely, I really, there's nothing worth watching in this show. I mean, if you really like Sam Elliott, he is exactly who Sam Elliott is. That's well, it. I mean, it seems like, I mean, Sam Elliott's nice to look at in his own gruff sort of way. And Ashton <laughs> Kutcher, I guess, is a good looking man. You could watch the show on mute. I, make up your own dialogue. That would <laughs> definitely make it better. <laughs> that actually sounds like fun. Let's I'm do Ashton that. Kutcher. I want you to buy this camera. <laughs> I'm hide from that 70s show. I wish I was wearing sunglasses. I'm Sam Elliott. I have Don't an awesome mustache. <laughs> I, I, that was the best part of the show was Sam Elliott's mustache. Because it is. It's like it, it, like you can't help but stare at it. Did it's it get the its best part of anything that he's in. Yes. is. It's he was on mustache. Grace and Frankie season two. I couldn't stop staring at his mustache. It's very well groomed. It's it's remarkable. But did the mustache get its own credit? No, they they did miss that opportunity. <laughs> I feel like the mustache has its own trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got to have a SAG card by now, right? It has to. <laughs> Sam Elliott goes and knocks on the door, and he's like, "Excuse me, Mister Mustache, are you ready for your scene yet? <laughs> Where are my brown M and M's?" And you know, it's just the mustache is sitting there with a cowboy hat and a pair of Lee jeans. Like, what's in those jeans? Who knows? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's just a mustache on top of a pair of starched Lee jeans. I like to imagine the mustache has the voice of H. John Benjamin, too. <laughs> I want you to know I'm having more fun talking about this show with you two than I did actually sitting and watching it. I should write all of television. <laughs> you, you really, really should. should. <laughs> um,. I really there's there's it's not good. Uh, I feel bad because I like Sam Elliott. Deborah Winger is in it as well. I don't know if that means anything to anybody. Like I like all of the people, like, I, except for Ashton independently. But when they put them all together, and I, the fact that Ashton Kutcher and Danny Masterson are faking a Southern accent bothered me. Ooh. Like like Sam Elliott, you I expected him to talk that way. I don't right. think I don't think that's fake for him. But it was not good. It was just not good. I, I it unfortunately I'm just disappointed it's not about salad dressing cuz I mean you well, would that think would be a sitcom. That that is why I actually tuned in first off thinking it was all they about finally s- made that sitcom about the hidden valley. <laughs> That's what it should have been the name of it then, Hidden Valley. Oh man, that'd be so and, great! And like, oh my god, how like a, a Nashville style soap about the the, the salad dressing oh industry, god. and it would have all those like ice cream trucks they showed in the trailers that instead of ice cream they're giving out like cauliflower and shit, and people pouring ranch dressing on it. Oh, I want to watch this show. Why aren't we funding this? Kickstarted the crap out of it. 
Uh, um, Sam Elliott is Mustache Ranch. What? <laughs> One thing that I did have to to check, which means I, I like started every episode, was that the opening theme song and the ending theme song was never the same. It was it was a rotating country music theme song. That's just weird. And they were never, ever done by the actual artist. Ew. It was just, it was just bad. It was just not good. But hey. Are we missing the boat here with like Sam Elliott always having ranch dressing in his mustache? Like, well, his mustache is very white now, so you may not be able to tell. I'm, just, I'm saying actually, his mustache is probably still stark black, and the only reason it looks white is because it's obsessed <laughs> with ranch dressing. <laughs> that is a possibility, yes. That's what's in the pants. That's what's in the jeans. They're full of ranch dressing. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, so, is this what you guys mean when you say on your other show- podcasts that you've gone off the rails? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, this is actually pretty I say close this to the rails. On the rails, I say we have found the right track, and we need to follow this where it goes. <laughs> Get on the rails. pants, train, full ranch dressing, sentient wow. mustaches. We are on point tonight. There are so many producers on this show. I just clicked like the the, the on the IMDb like the more cast icon. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 producers, whether they be co-executive, supervising, or associate. More producers than cast. Yes. You know you've gone in the right direction when that's the case. Yes. (laughs) This many people really wanted this show to happen. I'm actually looking through. People kept reading the script saying, you know, this isn't good. And they were like, no. Get another producer. We're making it happen. <laughs> I'm looking through like the credits to see if there's actually like a mustache groomer or mustache, mustache artist. wrangler. <laughs> mustache wrangler. <laughs> no, no. So uh, that, that well, the more producers there are, the better chance there is one of them will hear this and and take our feedback and incorporate that into season two and just reboot the whole damn show and make it about dressing. This is what we want. This is what the people want. Give the people what they want. That's right. Uh, Denny Masterson and Ashton Kutcher are producers. Oh, boy. Good for them. Oh, boy. Good for Uh, America. All right. Let's let's move on. That's that's all I got for them. Uh, Chris. Yo. Let's talk about Dragon Ball. Okay. Um, This was a really, really highly anticipated episode in the Dragon Ball loving community. Um, there was a character in the original, uh, not the original, in Dragon Ball Zeke uh, named Trunks, uh, who was a time traveler um, with a cool outfit and a sword, and he was pretty badass. And he turns out to be Vegeta's kid from the future. And um, his storyline was from some of the best parts of Dragon Ball Z. And <clears throat> the character, you know, eventually went back to his own time, and the regular version of trunks was born and so trunks on the by the end of dragon ball z was just some little kid who was you know kind of a spoiled little kid because the apocalyptic future didn't happen so he didn't get to be all badass um gotta hate it when your apocalyptic future doesn't happen whoa this is interesting all right so i got this new i got i got the new phone and siri has a way of like turning on itself Without you pressing the button, there's like a, some certain. I thought you I think it's supposed to say, "Hey Siri," 
and it does something. <laughs> but it didn't do anything there. But while I was talking, it just turned itself on. I heard it was the... taking dictation. <laughs> so say 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 trunks again. <laughs> trunks. Future trunks. Apocalyptic. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Bong. Okay, fine. Fuck you then. Stupid phone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. Stupid phone. brand new piece of technology. <laughs> I, I adore my new phone. It's fantastic. iPhone SE. Two thumbs up. All right. Anyway, where was I? Trunks. Uh, Dragon Ball Z. So um, Dragon Ball Super is chugging along. They finished up that you know big storyline I was talking about the last time. And they've been doing a couple of filler episodes. And the creators of the show started advertising, what, like promoting what the next story arc was going to be. And it was future Trunks again. But there were all these weird inconsistencies with it uh one of which was he was wearing a a red neckerchief which was people were analyzing the shit out of this myself included because <laughs> in the in the future he was fighting these androids which are actually cyborgs but they call them androids for no reason uh and one of them had this red neckerchief and now trunks is wearing a red neckerchief he still has the sword his hair is a different color and he is uh they were bringing this character back and the other character that they're bringing in was called uh that people were saying was black goku like whatever the hell that means or dark goku um which was really interesting to see so the episode it jumped right into things if trunks's future has gone all all to shit and uh he's running around with an uh, adult version of a character from the original dragon ball named mai who was a bad guy and I'm not even going to touch that with a 90-foot pole, but <laughs> there, there's a, a some sort of awful creature chasing after Trunks the whole time, just something of insane power, and is chasing after Trunks, and Trunks is genuinely scared, and it seems like pretty much everyone else is dead, like, on Earth. It's, it is complete apocalypse time. Trunks goes uh, to his, like, little home base area or whatever, and his mom, Bulma, is there, and uh, they're working on refueling uh, the time machine so that Trunks can go back in time and fix whatever the hell's wrong with the future now. Because that was his whole storyline. The first thing is he goes back in time because uh, the future's all screwed up, so he goes back to fix it. Blah, 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 blah. So, um, they have enough fuel for a one-way trip. Um, but this time, what's different is that uh, this shadowy character shows up and vaporizes Bulma and then kills his girlfriend, Mai, and uh, then at the end of the episode, it's the two of them standing off against against one another. Obviously, since we know the the there's more episodes in the see in the series, <laughs> uh, Trunks will eventually go back in time. Um, but the character that forms out of this uh, mist miasma, whatever the heck is, has been chasing him the whole time, looks just like Goku, uh, except he is very well dressed. Uh, which is not something that Goku is. He's dead serious, and he wants to frickin' murder Trunks. And this is particularly unnerving. Um, there there wasn't a lot happening in this episode. Like, I basically just gave you an entire plot synopsis. There was another weird subplot with picking cabbages that was really funny, but all in all, like, this was it. And it was just a lot of tension with this one thing chasing after Trunks. And... There's a, a in the Japanese version of Dragon Ball, a woman voices Goku. Um, she voiced him when he was a little kid, and for some reason, they just never decided to have Goku's voice change when he grew up. So he still sounds like a little kid. Having this voice actress, who is still voicing the character after all these years, voicing a an evil version of Goku was straight up chilling because chilling, right, did you very chilling? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
you you could draw a lot of parallels between Superman and Goku. Um, Superman, you've seen corrupted Superman a lot, and sometimes that can be a very effective thing. In America, Goku and all the American dubs, Goku has kind of been rebranded as a Superman-esque character. But in ja- in Japan, he's really just like he really likes fighting and he's very childlike. And this character with malicious intent is really unnerving um, because Goku has never been malicious. He's always, you know, he fights because he likes fighting. He loves eating. He's just this complete goofball who's only serious when it comes to fighting. And he's a really interesting character to watch because of it. And you you tend to root for him because he's just so happy all the time. But like this dark Goku character is it is is straight up malicious like I'm going to murder you for the sake of murder and it's very cold and in control and for some reason seeing that was far more unnerving to me than ever seeing Superman uh, a dark version of Superman you know like I don't know what it is about about the character but like Superman has always been very you know good guy truth and justice but Goku is like a kid and it's like seeing this innocent kid like character go completely dark and it was really it was really effective the 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 final scene was just was was very very effective is it is it um captain marvel-esque where or shazam how's that is that better for you where it's a uber powerful character that has the mentality of a child uh yeah, sort of like that. Um yeah, I guess I guess you would say that there's some par- there's definitely some parallels there. Um you know, Goku is, I mean, he he is an adult like the difference between him and uh, Captain Marvel is that Goku has lived to adulthood, you know, he's mm-hmm. married and has kids mm-hmm. whereas, you know, Captain Marvel is actually a kid. Right, right, right. But it's it's he's like an adult that has that childlike nature to him. Like very much yeah. so, and it is kind of a buffoon. So seeing that, that's why it's so effective when Goku gets serious in a fight because you know he's usually just kind of a goofy buffoon who's like it's insanely powerful and you know you know just just likes fighting. Uh, and then when shit gets serious, it's it's that much more affecting because there's so much levity involved in that character. But interesting. It was it was a really good episode. I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. And uh, how many episodes are there in a season? Because this was like episode forty. This is something. Four, I think it's episode forty eight of what they're still calling season one. I I have no idea where they're going to end the season. <laughs> if but... I had to venture a guess, I'd say these people don't really care about seasons. They're just like I'm going to make keep making episodes. You 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 call it whatever you want. Yeah, eventually it's going to go on hiatus, and we'll call it another season. But I mean, it's been consistently i think it's only missed like two or three weeks since it started like it's really so it's been been on for just shy of a straight year yeah every almost every week it's it's ridiculous and are and are these new or are they these re-airs from japan oh no it's airing in japan right now it's not actually airing in america i'm, I'm watching the japanese ones oh so there's um these i think it airs on like fridays or saturdays and usually by sunday afternoon uh these people have uh dubbed it not not dubbed, uh, subtitled it and i watch the subtitled ones uh, oh, as soon as they go up okay okay gotcha interesting that's why there's very little information on 
The IMDb. Oh, on IMDb, it. yeah, exactly. I didn't. Uh, the show that. is going to get localized, uh, and it's 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 quite good. It's it's quite cool. A few other things of note about uh, Dark Goku, um, besides his outfit and his his demeanor, probably the most interesting thing is he's got a um, he's got an earring on, <laughs> and in um, it's a very specific earring. In uh, later seasons of Dragon Ball, things started getting um. Uh, in Dragon Ball Z, they were kind of fighting against all this like weird spiritual type stuff, okay. and there was a technique called fusion, um, where two characters could fuse together and combine their power. It was occasionally very disturbing because there was a very specific process in order to do fusion, and if you didn't do it exactly right, things went horribly awry. Oh, uh, and of course, that uh, that process was a very silly dance because dragon ball is nothing if not <laughs> silly at times um dragon ball and, is nothing if not a silly dance <laughs> indeed and uh there was a character that uh gave uh goku and vegeta these earrings where if they both wore the earrings they would fuse without having to do the dance um he appears to be wearing one of those earrings so it seems that perhaps this version of Goku is fused with somebody incredibly evil and is not in control in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's all speculation, but it's all really interesting and um, really well done, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Awesome. I, I was, I'm shocked that it's gone straight for almost a year. I, I am shocked that... I mean, because it's the, animation, and animation takes time. Uh, so they well, have some to have... Some of these episodes of Dragon Ball are pretty ugly. <laughs> Well, even still, <laughs> even still, yeah, even still, it's 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 remarkable that they've been able to keep it going this long. Um, crap, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. Three, two, one. Shocked that it went for about a year. Anything? Nothing. I was surprised. Oh, I'm surprised. That's where it was. Um, I'm surprised that Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and now Dragon Ball Super has gone this long without ever doing the dark Goku storyline. You have the main character who's the good guy, you make a dark version of it. This happens in... Everything. Everything. Dragon Ball has gone this long without doing that. I am impressed. And I guess that helps lend to it being that much more effective, is that it's they've never done this before. Uh, it's pretty cool. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm just excited for season two of Ranch to see Dark Sam Elliott. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> Black ranch dressing. <laughs> it's all an elaborate game of it's chess. Like, it's like fat-free or something. Oh God, I want a chessboard with black and white dressing <laughs> as the pieces. All right. Before this gets any further off the rails. Karen. Yes, indeed. You, wanna, you wanted to talk about the, um, you know, the, the, the Hamilton Awards. I, I mean, the Tony Awards. <laughs> the Antonios. <laughs> Ha 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 ha, yes, you could have gotten very drunk if you were playing the Hamilton drinking game and uh, you oh, know, I dr just, I, do a shot every time they win an award. I just scrolled on, and I don't know what page this is, but it, it, it shows an icon for all of the nominees, and there just was a mm -hmm. little box around it that says winner, and the amount mm -hmm. of times that the Hamilton icon shows up on this page is ridiculous there are 11 <laughs> they won 11 tonys uh yeah so the 70th annual tony awards were the other night on sunday 
Uh, and yes, Hamilton won a lot of awards because it's an amazing show and it totally deserved it. So let's, you know, get over that right away. And no, it didn't win all the Tonys because for two reasons. One, <laughs> one in subcategories, multiple people from the show were nominated. So they couldn't literally win every award they were nominated for unless multiple people won the same category. And two, some categories they weren't nominated for, like you're not eligible to nominate a musical for a play award, an award for a play. Interesting. Like there are straight play awards and musical awards. Um, so the, the award ceremony happened on the same day as the terrorist attack in Orlando, which, um, yeah, well, the, the the terrorist attack happened early Sunday morning, and then the awards were Sunday night. And uh, given that the, the attack happened in a gay nightclub, and the fact that there is a huge LB, LGTB, I'm going to screw up that acronym, I'm sorry, but uh, LGTBQ, I believe that's the correct acronym, uh, presence in the theater community, it was obviously had a huge impact, so... That was the first hurdle they had to get over was to open the show with James Corden just on a bare stage addressing the camera directly and giving it a nice message about how everybody in the theater community is with the victims. And uh, and somehow they were going to have to, you know, move on and, and share all the joy and the love of the theater with, you know, just, just to prove that we can keep going in the face of adverse events. So they, they, handled, they, didn't, they handled that nicely good um and then moved on to their their opening jokey comedy bits uh which of course were had had to be hamilton themed um (laughs) (laughs) the the opening of uh hamilton the american musical uh tells has starts with a few of the characters singing about hamilton's backstory and how he came to america and like where he started from so they parodied that uh with having those actors do a do a parody of that song singing about James Corden and you know his start and his roots in the theater community um and the the Hamilton song reaches a crescendo and Hamilton comes out they ask they say what's your name and he says Alexander Hamilton my name is Alexander Hamilton there's a million things I haven't done but just you wait and you know just you wait for the rest of the show where you learn all the million things that he proceeds to do so they parody the song and uh, they bring out James Corden and he goes, James Corden, my name is James Corden. And he's holding a Tony and he goes, and these are what we are awarding. <laughs> and then the Hamilton cast members sort of move in towards him and he looks at them and he goes, just you wait, just you wait. <laughs> so they got that joke about like, Yes, you're going to win all the awards, but let, let's have the show. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know, but we still have to go through the motions. Um, he did a great monologue. It was short uh, to the point. The jokes were good. Uh, then he did a, the proper opening musical number. And Corden does a great job on his late night show of like... Um, you probably might have seen these clips on the internet. They, they do like, you know, all the sports movies ever made. And, you know, they just bring in a bunch of different actors and they switch shirts and like they do 30 seconds or not even 30, like three seconds of like the most famous line from that movie. And then they move on. He's the huskier English fellow. Yes. Right? He did one with Tom Hanks. I'm telling you, I was it's fantastic. Crying. I was laughing so hard. Um. Yeah, and there's another one he did with Anna Kendrick and a few other people. 
that this is what one of his uh you know go-to bits so he basically did that for theater and but on a grander scale because he had all these theater actors at his disposal so he did little bits from all the different shows with always with himself in the starring role because the point <laughs> of the the number was like when I was a kid, I fell in love with theater when I realized I could be any part that I ever wanted to play. And now I'm hosting the Tonys, so I really could do that. And so, like, it just became this, like, dizzying, like, tornado of musical numbers <laughs> where he would literally sing two words from one song and then move on to the next one. Nice. Yeah, there was a point where he's up on some people's shoulders and they're turning him around in a circle. And like, as they turn his back to the audience, he grabs and puts on an Annie wig and just goes tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> and they turn him around and he takes off the wig and he switches to another song. It was, <laughs> it was an excellent demonstration that James Corden is at the Tonys and he is not here to fuck around. <laughs> Or he is here to fuck around, but be really good at it. <laughs> yes, he's seriously talented, and he belongs in the theater. Um, I also think that the uh, it was it was important for them to do that number because uh, again, because of Hamilton, they had such a bigger audience than they normally have. They had a lot more young people, a lot more people who are not normally fans of the theater watching, and so this was like a great introduction for them of like this is all the other things that broadway has to offer and you probably might not have seen them before and maybe you might be interested in checking out what they are once you like hey that that song looks funny what's that from that really struck me too when i was watching this i watched some of the tonys with her and with this opening number that was the exact thought that i had that Look, I mean, if you talk to any 14-year-old girl in this country and they're going to know every lyric to Hamilton. Like, it is just a fact. This thing is a juggernaut with young with young people. And there's no question that it's it's a gateway to get people into theater. And speaking from experience, uh theater especially at that age can be a remarkably good thing for for the soul, for the psyche, for everything. And them doing having this opening number with James Corden, who is a relatively popular TV talent, especially with young people, and put putting the absolute best foot forward on Broadway's history for these for the young people that are no doubt tuning into this just because of Hamilton. Like if they retain fifteen percent of that audience, it would be huge. I mean. I, it's not to draw the the video game comparison, but like Hamilton to is to Broadway what Wii Sports was to video games. It is that mm-hmm. permeated, like it is obscene how many people could not give less of a crap about theater, uh, especially young people are looking at that like this is incredible. I need to know everything there is about this. I want Lin Manuel, whatever the hell his name Miranda. is. Miranda. Miranda. I want his name tattooed across my forehead for the rest of my life. And I love Alexander Hamilton. I will say that name more times than I say my parents' names in my lifetime. Like that is how crazy this is with certain people. And to try to capitalize on that and push it in such a positive direction to say, look what else theater has to offer. I mean, they they brought in the friggin' Lion King for some of it, for crying out loud. They hit all of the notes, every single one of them, the good and the bad. I'm looking at you, Phantom. And um <laughs> it was it, it was it was a marvelous piece. Like I I I thought it was spectacular. 
and 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 I feel like it also had the effect of kind of um, the same effect that Hamilton has had for some other shows where you know he did a quick bit about Jesus Christ Superstar and the only you know part of the song that he sang was uh, you know I could be Jesus in you know whatever Jesus Christ Superstar spoiler alert he dies and that was the the total summary of like summarizing the plot of Jesus Christ Superstar in a funny way that would make people say oh I never thought about it that way maybe maybe I'm interested in Jesus Christ Superstar maybe I'll check that out and it goes with it has to be said that when they did this there was people hoisting up James Corden with his arms out and a crown of thorns on his head like he was crucified (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that kind of just, uh, you know, lighthearted take on certain things is like, okay, theater doesn't have to be this, like, serious, stodgy, uptight thing for only rich white people. Like, it can be for everybody. Yeah, and and especially here at the Tony, like, yeah, here, but there at the Tony Awards, (laughs) because at the Tony Awards, like, they even made the joke about there are no cheap seats. You can't get tickets for Hamilton until 3,045. (laughs) There's still people waiting in line to buy tickets to freaking Book of Mormon, for crying out loud. Actually seeing a Broadway play is, it's like winning the freaking lottery. And in the case of Hamilton, it's literally like winning the lottery. If you want to go see it, you've got to win the lottery or be a rich white person that already has tickets. Like, it's just that crazy. Broadway theater has become absurdly inaccessible to people. Like, it is just out of this world. If a show gets popular, good luck getting tickets, like, before your 50s. It's just not going to happen. But theater is everywhere. The like, And that was the part of the opening number that I thought was so cool, is that they were bringing up how important it is local theaters, community theaters, high school theaters. Like, this stuff exists everywhere. It's not just on Broadway. And while it would be nice if you know, ticket scalpers and whatnot weren't uh, buying all of the tickets and then selling them for obscene prices so that only rich white people could go. Um, it's still, it was nice to see them acknowledge that fact that theater is everywhere and it is for everyone. It is really something that is, it's just ridiculously inclusive. It, it There's very few things on this planet that are more inclusive than theater. Like you're not going to hear the kind of swill that you see on comic book message boards or hear on uh, 13 year olds barfing up on Xbox live. You're not going to hear that in the theater community. There's lots of screwed up stuff that goes on, but it's usually not that it's, it's not like racially or, uh, you know, whatever hate involved. It's not hate driven. Exactly. It's not hate driven. And I think that the rest of the show carried that through of like, ways to include more people in the community they had one of the things they did was performances from various nominated shows one of which is a revival of spring awakening um which is a show that appeals to a lot of high school kids um and this particular performance was performed by both deaf and hearing actors my minor gripe is that you know i think it's great that they had the diversity of disability portrayed on stage they even had one actress who was like the first uh broadway actress uh to use a wheelchair because it's needed for mobility like she was actually handicapped and she was still you know full part of the show they had people signing and other people singing for them but the the person who was signing is actually you know the character and the the voice who's singing is kind of behind a screen not really seen um i think that 
that level of diversity is great. However, the cast was entirely white. And while I'm not 100% familiar with the Spring Awakening script, I doubt that there's anything in it that's like, yes, this show is set in like a 100% white area and there cannot be any people of color in the cast. Like, they could have done that too, but still, there, you know, that. And there were other shows where you could, see, you know, the color purple was big this year mm-hmm. in the theater. And there was another one, um, which I wasn't familiar with, called Shuffle Along, colon, a long-ass subtitle they said about 30,000 times. And I'm like, get a shorter name, show. <laughs> but again, a lot of casts with people of color and recognizable faces, too, like... Um, Tasty from uh, Orange is the New Black mm-hmm. has has a significant role in The Color Purple. You say recognizable, but I didn't recognize her. Well, you didn't, but, you know. As soon as she pointed out, because I'm so used to seeing her in her prison outfit, and she's all dressed up looking all normal and pretty and whatnot, and I'm like, oh, shit, that is her. My point is, there were lots of things featured in the show that people watching would be like, oh, that's someone I like from something else, or that's someone I identify with for another reason, and they're involved in theater. That means there's that much more reason that it's possible I could be interested or involved in theater. Mm-hmm. People like Zach Levi. People I was, like Zach. Zach Levi, Jeff Daniels. There are a number of, of names as I was rolling through this. Uh, Jessica Lang, which I was like, oh, it's the woman from that, that horror stuff. I, I remember yeah, the, her. the American Horror Story. Was that Roseanne's sister? Laurie yes. Metcalf. I mean, there was a one n- of our uh, Geek Aid writers actually saw that production of Misery, and there is a review of it on the site. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah, seriously. Spoiler alert: that. not great. Oh. <laughs> she didn't win for a reason. Not that she wasn't good, but she also wasn't in Hamilton. <laughs> Bruce Willis was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. They even made a joke. Uh. James Corden came out and did a whole bit about how, like, some of these faces you might not recognize if you're not familiar with the theater, but you probably know them from other places, like, and they, you know, flashed to Claire Danes in the audience, like, Claire Danes, you probably know her more as, and then, like, split screen, they put up a screenshot of her from an episode of Law & Order that she did, and they're like, you probably know her as this character she did on Law & Order. (laughs) And they go to another person and another person, and it was a whole joke about how, like, everybody who works in New York theater has also been on Law & Order at one point in their career. (laughs) Uh, So that was all really fun. Um, The... the, (laughs) I, I... if you know me, then you know that I'm crazy for Hamilton. I'm one of those people, and I can't let it go by without talking about the uh, the performance and the awards. Um, obviously, the um, the first award that on that was televised that it won was for best score, which meant that the um, the writer and composer, <clears throat> excuse me, the lyricist. Excuse me, not not composer. He writes the music. That's somebody else. Um, he, Lin Manuel Miranda, got up on stage, and he's known for um, freestyling, rapping during all his acceptances. But he uh, had written a poem, which you've probably seen and heard plastered all over the internet. Really beautiful. Um, you know, took into account the current events that had just happened that day, and uh, was really moving. Um, obviously much later in the show, they brought out the whole cast 
a bu- bunch of people from the cast won in whatever categories they were nominated for, except uh, the best actress in a musical did not go to them. It went to the lead from uh, Color Purple, which was well deserved mm-hmm. from what I from what little I saw. Um, and they did so they did a big production number from them shortly before announcing what the best musical award uh, went to. And uh, the number they chose was uh, call, a song called Yorktown, parentheses, the world turned upside down, with a tiny bit of the song that comes before it in the show, which is uh, called History Has Its Eyes on You. And uh, a lot, I, I've seen some criticism of this, uh, the selection of these songs online because, oh, that's not my favorite song. That's not the song I would have picked. I would have rather seen this. I think it was brilliant, and I'll explain why. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. So, the history has it, its eyes on you is uh, is a conversation between George Washington and Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton's just received a commission in the army that he's been wanting since the beginning of his career. That he's gonna, you know, take some men and fight in the Battle of Yorktown, and they think they can win the war at this battle. And it's a warning from Washington, like, okay, now that you're in charge of something, no matter what you do, like good or bad history is going to remember it so just be aware of that um and i that's think that's a pretty interesting the whole musical number i think really well paralleled lin-manuel miranda's career because if you think about it he won his first tony for in the heights which is the musical he did before this and once he was on the world's radar for having won for that history had his eyes on him so then they move into the Battle Battle of Yorktown, which is a song where they explain like their strategy and how they fought and what made this battle different and why they won um, because of this battle. And, you know, that goes along with what made, ha- you know, ex- goes alongside with what makes Hamilton this amazing smash hit musical and like why it's different and why it's great and why nobody can ever get tickets for the rest of their lives. Um... And then there's a dance break, uh, where the uh, the ensemble it, it it was a good showcase for the ensemble. So you didn't just get to see the stars of the show; you got to see everybody in the cast. Um, and the the it's the choreography is meant to mimic the fighting in the you know fighting the Battle of Yorktown. It's normally performed with prop muskets. Uh, they made the decision to leave those aside and just mimic, you know, pantomime without using the actual muskets in honor of the victims mm-hmm. of the tragedy in Orlando, which... Which, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, and makes me cry. Um, and then the last bit of the song is called The World Turned Upside Down, which is, you know, them saying that they won and everything's going to be different now. And uh, that's sort of, you know, okay, they, I mean, they had to know at this point they're going to win the, the award for the show. So you can just see in the cast's face like that this winning of the Tony, this is going to turn their worlds upside down. So I <laughs> maybe I'm reading too much into it, but <laughs> it, it just made it a really special performance with all of that in mind. Um, and it was... <laughs> It was a really alive performance. I mean, and those of us who are obsessed with the musical have listened to it over and 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 memorized, like, not just the words and the 
tunes, but like the inflections and where people pause and where they breathe. And like this performance was different than that. And that's what makes live theater great. So um, it, it was, uh, again, another good reason to have non-theater people watching the show so they could see, oh, oh, it's different than just listening to it on my iPod a hundred times. Not right, that anyone right. listens to an iPod. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, the, the awards ceremony itself, the show itself, whether not not taking into effect winners and losers and choices and presentations, how was it? Was was it paced well? I mean, as there, there are certain award shows that just seem to, what's the word I'm looking for? Drag, drag. out? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There were parts where I was falling asleep. It did go a good half hour over, um, 20 minutes, half hour over. And, and there were things that could have been cut. Mm -hmm. Um, they decided to do a thing where they take a cue. Hamilton does a a ticket lottery outside of the theater. And prior to them drawing the winner, the people from the cast will come out and do a performance of of something. It doesn't even have to be from the show. Just, you know, showcase of a couple of the actors to thank the crowd for standing around and waiting to see if they got the tickets. Right. It's called the Ham for Ham show. So they did that. They put a little stage up outside the Beacon Theater where the Tony Awards were happening mm-hmm. and they had a crowd on the sidewalk and they brought mm-hmm. out different casts of different shows to sing little songs. It was really dumb and it didn't work. And like halfway through the show, it felt like they abandoned it because they just stopped <laughs> doing it. <laughs> and I think it was like, oh, we realized that, you know, we could have, uh, you know, the show might not, the show might be running long. So let's stop doing these dumb outdoor bits that nobody cares about. <laughs> well, that, um, that of course corrected. That's good. Most yeah. shows don't do that. They just keep plugging along, head down. We're going to make this bit work. They also uh, included an abridged version of the carpool karaoke Mm -hmm. um, bit from his late night show that they'd done earlier in the week. Like, they didn't show the whole thing, but still, like, you don't really need to show any of it. Anybody who cares saw it already. Right. Right. Makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, on the whole, it was an award show. It was long. There were parts you didn't care about. There were parts it was like, okay. Some of the musical numbers were tough because they're out of context. And if mm-hmm. you don't know the show, then it's just a bunch of people singing a song and dancing around. And you don't know what's going on. And it's hard to figure out, like, why you should care. Right. Other ones, you know, like, it's like, okay, as much as School of, School of Rock is not for me. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a performance from School of Rock. It's like, okay, at least I'm familiar with School of Rock. I know what it is, and I can, like, be okay with this performance. Some of them, it was just like, mm, okay, time to get a snack. <laughs> Bathroom break. Gotta go. Yeah. Well, good. I, I, it seems like you enjoyed the show. <laughs> well, you knew I was going to. <laughs> also seemed like Chris enjoyed the opening of the show. <laughs> I did. Okay. I enjoyed what I stuck around for. Good. Good. I would say is definitely worth at least going through um, Google or we we're gonna put a link to some of the clips from the show in our show notes and uh, you know check them out because they were they were pretty impressive performances obviously they were Broadway caliber performers good you they 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 better be good yeah well yeah how do you get to Broadway practice something of that effect I don't know any Carnegie Hall but anyway oh, yeah that's true Carnegie Hall. Um, well, all right. So, 
thumbs up on the Tony Awards. Good enough. All right, um, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk Chuck. Stay tuned. Christopher Walken. I mean, we all love him. How could you not? Well, geek aide Sam Ahern took on the Herculean task of ranking the man's movie appearances and somehow managed to narrow it down to just 10. How did she do? Where did your favorite Walken movie land? Find out in Geek Aid's Top 10 Christopher Walken Movies. Robot Nightmare has been spending a lot of time with horror games lately. Lots of nasty stuff like Doom and PT. But their true nightmare began this week when they decided to take on the punishingly difficult Super NES classic, The Lion King. No laser guns or rocket launchers here, it's just a lion cub versus a bunch of hyenas and some really tough platforming. Head over to the Geekade YouTube channel and check out Robot Nightmare, The Lion King. The folks at Apathetic Enthusiasm do these Netflix rewatches from time to time and they're usually a good time, but this week they're hitting up a truly legendary film, The Sandlot. If you've never seen it before, do yourself a favor and get on that. And as soon as you're done, listen to Apathetic Enthusiasm episode 71, The Biggest Pickle, Sandlot Rewatch. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> do you know what Puzzle and Dragons is? Can you properly identify Dakiao and Xiaokiao? Have you not seen your friends or family in months? Then perhaps we have an article for you. GeekAid's resident pad evangelist Dan Ryan participated in Player's Choice Godfest a few weeks ago, and he detailed all the glorious monsters he now has in his employ from the event in one convenient article. If you can't get enough Puzzle and Dragons, head over to the Think Tank and read Puzzle and Dragons Player's Choice Godfest, May 2016. You can catch all this great stuff plus tons of other articles, videos, podcasts, and more right now at geekade.com. And we're back. Thank you very much for checking out our commercials. You're welcome. You're so giving. Um, okay, so I did this come up for a reason, or is this just something we decided that we wanted to do? Just one we had in the chamber, I think. Okay. Uh, we're talking Chuck. We All three of us have a love for Chuck. Um, it is a show about a 20-something, he's a geek, and he gets roped into being a spy because a supercomputer is downloaded into his brain. And his name is Charles Bartowski. Yes, Charles, Chuck Bartowski. Um, in, when he gets it, this computer downloaded to his brain, the CIA and all sorts of other military-type things happen to him where he needs protectors and, and bad guys chase him and mayhem ensues. Uh, the show is basically about Chuck, his love for his, one of his handlers, his best friend, and the really angry gentleman that is always around. Uh, Jane Cobb. Yeah. <laughs> the man he also has Jane. to keep up uh, his, his cover of his normal, like, kind of loser life where he works at an electronic <laughs> store called the Buy More and, like, his family and his friends don't know anything about it for the most, you know, for most of the run of the show. Right. And, and everything that shows up in this show becomes, like, an integral part of the show. It becomes like, like, the Buy More is family on this show for five, five seasons, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was that was his residency, and the, like you saw the buy more than you more than you saw his apartment or his home where he was living most of the time with his sister and his brother-in-law. Um, 
the tertiary characters like Big Mike and Lester and uh, Jeff, like they're all the quirky. Normally, in a in a show like this, they're the quirky sub characters that you don't pay much attention to. But everybody got worked into this show for a number of different episodes, so it's one of my favorites. I've actually probably rewatched this full through probably three times. Um, so we each picked our, I guess, our favorites or ones that are high up on our list, and we're gonna go in chronological order. So, Chris, you are first. You have season two, episode five, Chuck versus Tom Sawyer. Ready? All right. So, all right. Go. Ready? F- all right, Ten minutes. Go. go. <laughs> I'm gonna do this in five. All right. Here's here's the thing with um. As soon as we said we were talking about Chuck and we had to pick episodes, one episode always sticks out in my mind of Chuck, and it's the one. It, it's probably the most retro game focused episode <laughs> in the entire series, where it's about a game of missile command saving the world. Turns out that Jeff of the Bymore, the creepy stalkery type dude, uh, was a champion missile command player way back in the day, and um. There were some there's some cockamamie story about how uh, <laughs> the Tom Sawyer by Rush lines up with playing Wait a missile. Com- you're you're skipping the point that the fact that the designer of the game created a missile system. <laughs> I'm I'm getting there. <laughs> Believe me, I'm getting there. The, okay, so the designer of Missile Command um, apparently made this uh, made an actual missile system, and uh, in order to disarm it, if it ever goes out of control, you have to like get to the kill screen of Missile Command. <laughs> Which up until this point, nobody <sighs> believe existed. Yeah. Which is, for non-gamers, that's basically beating the game. It's as close to beating an old arcade game as you can get. A kill screen is... It, games back in the day were meant to be played indefinitely, but at a certain point, the game would just kind of die, <laughs> and they would call it a kill screen. Like, you look up Pac-Man kill screen, and when you, play, when you get to the kill screen, just half the game screen just goes all bug nuts and whatnot and then the game eventually <laughs> crashes because the system kills itself so all right this this episode is important for a couple of reasons thing number one it introduces the character of Emmett which I absolutely hated this character <laughs> and like you were supposed to hate this character but I don't think a single thing that this actor does is funny I really? despise his shtick I don't think Arrested Development is a very funny show. I'm sorry, Earth, but I just, <laughs> I just don't think it's very funny, and I don't think this guy is funny. And I hated every second this man was on camera. Every single second of him was despicable to me, and then they killed him. <laughs> they killed this character, not in this episode, but they kill him off in this show, and I was so happy. I was like, they didn't just write him off. That guy's dead now. And it was pretty yes. unceremonious, too. Exactly. Like, he got was shot it? in the head and just, like, tossed in a dumpster. dumpster That's right? Yeah. Dead. No more Emmett. Nobody cares. Especially not this guy. I'm pointing to me. This is an audio <laughs> podcast. You can't see my hands. The other thing that's kind of kind of fun is that the, like, the one-off bad guy in this one was the guy who played the, the guy with the rings in the first Iron Man movie. You know, not Mandarin. Uh, so that was kind of funny. Um, the thing that really resonates with me in this, in this episode is Chuck did a really great job of paying actual attention to being as true as they could be to, um, actual video game culture, like geek culture that it, that it played around with. And it got so much wrong with this story and I can't be mad at it because they did it just because they were writing this story. But all right. 
Missile Command. Uh, they said that Missile Command was uh, made by this Morimoto guy uh, at, at Atari headquarters in Japan. Atari is an American video game company. They were American. And <laughs> Brigand Missile Command was made by a guy named Dave Thurer, not a guy named Morimoto or, or Morito- Morimoto. So, yeah, that was like every kind of wrong. Missile Command Nerd. actually does have, does have no kill screen. There is no kill screen for Missile Command. Um not one that anybody how, has like, reached yet. Okay, let's be fair. The record um, for uh, Missile Command, like I think they were talking about, they played the game for like eight uh, eight hours or something like that on on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who had played this game played for uh, I think the world record is a couple of days straight. You mean it wasn't two million game. points and the game was over? No, uh, they, yeah, they said two million. The actual world record is somewhere closer to eighty million. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you're ruining the mystique, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that th- those things aside, this episode is just pure cheesy fun. Um and and you you can't I can't be mad at them. They used an actual the like, screens and sounds from Missile Command in the episode and an actual Missile Command arcade cabinet trackball and all. I tip my hat to you, episode. Chuck, you're awesome. The the, the it has to be one of the probably more expensive episodes because they had Tom Sawyer by Rush. The, yeah, the that whole was clearly was in more it. <laughs> expensive than anything else, like anything else Atari related. Because yeah, they they traveled over to like Atari headquarters. Atari was like barely a shell company at this point. <laughs> like, the name was owned by I think Ubisoft at the time or something. I don't know. There was no Atari headquarters building. It just didn't exist. The uh the climax scene where Chuck actually beats the game is really great. You know, they have a Joker where he needs to play Tom Sawyer so he can sync the game up with the music in order to beat it. And Morgan does a great joke about, yeah, I got it. It's on my Zune. You have a Zune? No, I'm kidding. It's on my iPad. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole scene is great because they go between Chuck playing the game like frantically with this big crowd of people in the store around him. And then Sarah is at a TV station where the terrorists are getting ready to, like, control the missile, and she fights them all in, like, no guns. It's all hand-to-hand combat. It's a really cool fight choreography. And then also Casey, who's down in their base, getting ready to, like, press the button that will... <laughs> shoot another missile. Shoot another missile. That will shoot missiles. <laughs> and there'll be, like, casualties, but not as bad, like... And it was all it was very tense, and it worked really well with the music. As You know, look it up on YouTube. It's really cool little four minute scene or something very good episode great choice chris all right and it was a total of eight minutes eight minutes jesus all right karen well can i have your extra two minutes (laughs) (laughs) you i'm kidding have season two episode 21 chuck versus the colonel yeah this is a big one and i think it's a lot of people know the one a lot of people know because it's the one with call caps the kiss so at the beginning of this one, Operation Moron, in quotes, uh, quote John Casey, has been, is over. Beckman's going to disband the program and get rid of, you know, Chuck's too much trouble. So they're going to just put him in a bunker and whatever. But uh, the bad guys, Fulcrum, have Chuck's dad and they're making him build another intersect. Um, and it's all controlled by this guy, Ted Rourke, who's played by Chevy Chase, which in the probably the best role of his late career you know oh, never yeah. it was a great big f- never a great big fan of him on community but this was fantastic um there's lots of you know cat and mouse 
adventure capture and escape going on until they ultimately find Chuck's dead and get him out. They get the intersect out of Chuck's head and they bomb the crap out of Fulcrum. And so, you know, mega happy ending. That's the short version. (laughs) (sighs) So Chuck and Sarah went AWOL to rescue Chuck's dad. She's like, you know, he deserves better than that. So I'm going to help you, even though it means I'm risking my career. So they go on the run They end up in this crappy motel because Chuck had a flash that he's somewhere in this, you know, deserted area. So they get a hotel room. There's one bed. They make it. It's the tiniest bed in the world. Like, it doesn't even look like a full-size bed. (laughs) This is a freaking TV show. Anyway, they're like, okay, we'll share the bed. We can be adults about this. But they wake up and uh, they're, like, spooning. Um, And this song starts to play. It's by Bon Iver and it's called Creature Fear and it works perfectly in the scene. Uh, Sarah is like stroking his arm. She's kind of half awake and then he like totally wakes up once he feels this and he like just has a second where he gets to like stare in disbelief that this is happening and then she wakes up and like rolls towards him and they both look at each other and there's like this pause and there's a pause in the song and then there's like this big crescendo in the song where the singer goes so ready for this and they kiss and it's like the best kiss it's like the greatest <laughs> kiss ever you guys it's amazing and they're just like so into it and then they have a moment where they like pause for a second and they pull away from each other and he looks at her and like is this okay? And she looks at him like, yeah. And then they keep kissing. Oh, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> All <laughs> of this ch- tenderness followed up by. <laughs> by Chuck sneaking off. He's just like, don't move. Don't breathe. Don't go anywhere. He sneaks off to get uh, the, you know, I guess you guys all have a a token condom in your wallet. But uh, Chuck's is not there because it's been replaced by a note which says, I owe you one condom, your pal Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) And all of that gets lost in the rest of the episode, which has so much in it, you guys. Okay, I still have seven minutes. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why I picked the episode is for that moment. But it's so much better. There's, um, you know, Ch- uh, Casey ends up going after Chuck and Sarah, finds them at the motel, but Sarah gets the drop on him, knocks him out, handcuffs him to the radiator, and they go away. They get out, but then they see Fulcrum has showed up at the motel, and they're like, we can't leave him here. So Sarah goes back, but Chuck has to sit in the car. Classically, <laughs> stay in the car. Uh, she, but when she gets back in there, Casey is already gone, and the radiator's been ripped out of the wall. <laughs> and cut back to the car where. Casey is threatening to hit Chuck with the radiator, <laughs> and his response is, in this car, you don't have enough torque to hit me with that. <laughs> so uh, then they see F- uh, Fulcrum has got has got captured Sarah, and Chuck, uh, um, Casey is like, too bad, we're leaving. And Chuck says, Chuck's in the driver's seat, he's like, I'm not going anywhere without Sarah. He hits them bad guys with the car. There ends up it's, being a big it's scuffle. It's Arnold Boslow, isn't? Wasn't he the the mummy? The mummy, <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, Imhotep, that's it. <laughs> yes. So they it, it ends in a standoff. They beat all the bad guys, and then it ends in a standoff between Casey and Sarah. Um, and Chuck tries to break the tension. They're like, just stay in the car. He's standing there with one foot in the car. He's like, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I still have one foot in the car. so you know he takes them back to castle locks them up there's a lot of back and forth they get out again 
in the end, they they get away and they're going to go rescue Chuck's dad and Casey shows up and it's basically you find out he's just hurt that they didn't ask him to come along on their rescue mission with them because he really does value their friendship uh, as much as anything else. The react Chuck's reaction when he like when like Casey gives him three reasons. I don't remember what reason one and reason two were. <laughs> you didn't bring enough guns. You didn't notice I was following you. And you didn't, you didn't ask me to come along. <laughs> and Chuck's like realization and then slow turn and goes, "Uh, do you want to come help save my dad?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, very good stuff. The buy more stuff is dumb, but there are pivotal, two good though. points. Pivotal, yes. Uh, Morgan has betrayed Big Mike, and uh, Big Mike ends up getting demoted, and now Emmett, who everybody hates, is in charge of the store. Um, there's a whole, like, godfather-type <laughs> plot where Morgan tries to, like, make up for his betrayal and by becoming Emmett's assistant manager, or ass man. <laughs> um... Jeff and Lester. <laughs> Jeff and Lester end up blowing the power of the store with firecrackers in response to the new regime, which provides the opportunity for Chuck and Sarah to escape, um, tying into the other plot. Mm -hmm. um, and then Emmett insists that Morgan fire the guys. He doesn't want to do it. Anna's like, his girlfriend, Anna, is like, why do you care about what is happening here? Which leads him to reveal that... He does have a dream of becoming a hibachi chef in Hawaii, which is weird, but whatever, and uh, just has this great moment where at the end he, he like, tells Emmett to shove the job and, like, rips off his shirt for some reason and picks up Anna and carries her off into the sunset. And it's a fantastic moment for anybody who watches and loves this show and has ever worked retail and has always wanted to do something like that. I do like the fact that he, when when he first tells Anna about his his dream, he's like, "I'm not going to tell you because you're going to laugh." And she goes, "Oh, I won't laugh." He tells, and then she totally <laughs> she laughs. laughs. And she's like, "No, no, no, it's totally attainable." And he's like, "No, it's not. I'm too old. I haven't been trained, and I'm not Asian. <laughs> I don't even know where to buy the knives." <laughs> um, we also get uh, Ellie and Awesome. This is another like very key thing that happens um ellie and awesome are about to get married and uh she's upset because chuck has disappeared because he's off trying to save their dad to bring him to their wet to their wedding well well that's where it ends up going is that you know she's upset the whole episode um ellie's freaking out they end up catching Casey in Chuck's room looking for clues as to where he might have run off with Sarah. And uh, that leads Awesome to this like little silly subplot where he thinks that Casey is stalking Chuck. <laughs> which causes Awesome to then break into Casey's apartment. Um, <laughs> and he gets trapped there by the security system. Casey comes home and like holds him at gunpoint, which is exactly when um, Chuck and Sarah show up. And that all leads to Chuck having to tell the truth to Awesome and like, guess what? I'm a spy. This is what's going on. And you can handle this, right? I need you to be awesome. Which he is not. <laughs> Momentarily. He does end up becoming awesome. But in the first like... First time interaction. That he's the first time he's confronted with it and has to like lie to Ellie. And cover for Chuck. He just was like basically passes out from like confusion. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, another turning point in the show because now we're bringing another person into the secret backstory of Chuck. 
And we also do have the lovely cliffhanger at the end, or uh, the coda at the end, where Chuck does end up coming home with their dad. And like, I'm sorry I was gone, Ellie, but I was getting your wedding present. And their dad walks in, and it's wonderful and lovely. And the wedding provides a lot of not only closure for this episode, but set up for the next. Because Chuck invites Casey to come to the rehearsal dinner. He's like, you're my friend. And, you know, that's so it's nice acknowledging that. ever. (laughs) that um you know that hurt that he felt earlier in the episode sarah shows up in in a nice dress to be his date and it's you know get a little rekindling of that spark from the motel room and the last very last scene you see like that chevy chase's character survived the firebombing and is now hitchhiking his way to the wedding to like and it sets up what is and the next episode which is a really awesome finale and that's all I have to say about that. And I have 20 seconds left. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. <laughs> all right. Very good. That, I, I love that episode, especially how much it leads into or, or, or ties up like the relationship between Chuck and his father. I always like Scott Bakula as his dad. I thought it was perfect casting. That's my timer. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. My turn. Yes. Okay, I am doing season four, episode twenty-four, Chuck versus the Cliffhanger. Okay, this show towards I think like season end of season three, season four, season five. Never really sure if it was going to make it to the next season. It was always on the yeah. Bubble. It was always on the bubble. And they a lot of times they had two different endings planned out, or they would. It it was weird how they they did the season finales. Um. Now, this season's big bad was uh, Volkov, played by, <laughs> played by James Bond, or a ah, James Bond, Mr. Timothy Dalton. Um, I thought great great villain for the, the season. He played a, a truly, truly evil human being. And on top of that, he incorporated his daughter into his evil machinations. <laughs> God bless. Um, Vivian Volkov. That's played by Lauren Cohen. Lauren, that's right. Um, so this episode starts off with, it's sort of like a, a flashbacky type thing where they wake up, Chuck and, um, Sarah are, they're, they're, <laughs> God bless, they are in bed and it's like days before their wedding. So yes, they're going to get married. Spoilers. Um, they, they have this, they, they talk to each other about the fact that they're starting to get nervous and they're, and they're worried that it's cold feet, but they decided that they're going to run through it, just the two of them, so they're prepared for anything. Then they do a flash forward to, mo- or to, to current times. Current times, the episode before this, Sarah was shot with the Norseman, which is a gun that is trained to a person's DNA, which can kill people just about instantly, or allegedly. She's uh, knocked out and in the hospital, and uh, Awesome and, and Chuck's sister are working on her. They, they have to find the, you know, the antidote to Norseman, which is Iridium 5. Now, we don't find out Iridium 5 until... Chuck decides that he has to go get Alexei Volkov because he has been captured by the CIA by a man by the name of Decker. Decker is a dick. Don't like Decker. I liked Decker less than that other dude from the the, the, the seasons that you didn't. You know what I'm talking about? That guy. Um. So Decker captures Alexei, and then it turns out the character or the the character of Alexei was created by. 
the CIA. It was it was part of the whole brain thing that you know the the it was one of the experiments that you know also led to to the the computer portion of being in a person's brain. They gave him a a personality that he doesn't remember his own. This is a life that he is now living. Uh, they erase that and give him back his old life and his the character's name that he goes back to is Hartley Winterbottom, which I just <laughs> thought was a lovely last name. He's a very nice guy. He is lovely. He has no idea what he's been doing for 30 years, but he's a scientist that can make Iridium 5. So Chuck frees him on this motorcycle chase, blowing up the back of a truck, take him, capture it, save him, take him to the hospital. They make Iridium 5. They Injected into Sarah, and you would think that that's the end of the episode, but oh no, it's only like 15 minutes in, if that. Uh, the Iridium 5 is not strong enough, so apparently Chuck's mother, who is played by, that's right, Linda Hamilton, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, was working for Volkov and knows that they had a secret experiment going on. They called it, I think, Lead Apron, but it must be Iridium 6. They needed a stronger cure. So they have to go to Volkov's secret or, or Russian headquarters to infiltrate there to get the new antidote. So the plan is Chuck and, and, and Volkov or Hartley now are going to go there and, and just grab it and, and bounce. But they, they, they can't do that because Decker is now chasing them out of the hospital like he they they can't get it they just can't it's not as easy as they want it to be um everybody on the team is aware that if they proceed and they save sarah that they're gonna have to disappear so casey works has you know a couple of spare ids you know falsified uh, fake you know blank ids that he just gives to chuck and, and sarah so that when they, everybody succeeds we're good to go you could just run off and be safe they wander off to russia and Hartley <laughs> freaks out and sort of runs away. He actually ha- he sort of panics badly and then turns to Chuck and says, I'm going to run away now, and then proceeds to run out. Um, <laughs> Chuck then figures out the only way he could do this is to beg uh, Vivian. So he he confronts Vivian. He says, like, you know, I, I'm begging for my, my wife's life or the woman that I love's life. I'm, I'm praying that you are not this person wholeheartedly. And they argue back and forth. Then the father shows up. He talks her into helping out. And it's left at like one of those, you know, fade to black. We don't get a solid answer. And the next scene is, uh, it's, it's Morgan. It's, oh, it's, um, Chuck's mother, Morgan, and, and if I'm not mistaken, and Jane is in there too. It's not Jane. It's John Casey in this show. And they were sitting in a car outside of the hospital waiting for Chuck to show up. And and all of a sudden, like, they're trying to figure out a plan, what they're going to do. And apparently, uh, Morgan called in Sarah's bridesmaids, who happen to be two really attractive, badass agents that are also uh, CIA operatives. So everybody's on the same team. We're all going to fight the good fight, but Chuck's nowhere to be found. Um, out of nowhere, Chuck parachutes in, is confronted by Decker at gunpoint, then the rest of the Morgan and Bridesmaids and all that team comes up to defend Chuck. Uh, Decker has more people come up, like a small army, to confront them, and 
Chuck is saying, you know, this is all part of our plan. It's, you know, it's a diversionary tactic because while you're paying attention to us, you're missing something really big. And then, like, hundreds of Russian agents parachute, you know, parachute out of the sky because Volkov lent them their, their army to, to get him into the hospital. So, uh, the CIA drops their guns. Chuck runs into the hospital. They give her the serum fade to black so we don't know everybody's still sad she doesn't just wake up immediately the neck it fades to black and then when it fades back in it's on a sign for a church and it says funeral at 3 p.m and it takes like a beat and a half and then the camera pans down and then at uh 4 p.m is the bartowski wedding so yay she lived she survived um they have they get married beautiful ceremony lovely vows morgan is the officiant because he <laughs> is part of the Intergalactic Federation of Planets. <laughs> he marries them. They get into... Like, when they're leaving, they do this little f- set of flashbacks of all the times that they showed how much they love each other throughout the whole mm-hmm. show. Like, the first time he confesses that he loves her to just about the last time. So you see all of those big moments. Like, you see that kiss in the hotel bed. Like, they do that in flashback. Gets into the, They get into the limo. Limo drives away, noted that as opposed to the cans being tied to the back of the limo, it was white converse, which I thought was cute. Um, in the, whilst in the limo, they get a phone call from Hartley Winterbottom telling them that there is a wedding gift in the limo for them. They open up an envelope and apparently uh, <laughs> Hartley gave them Volkoff Industries, which is worth eight hundred and seventy seven million dollars okay so they've been fired from the cia they don't have jobs they were just given almost a billion dollars as a wedding gift they decide to buy the buy more and start their own little cia you know (laughs) freelance spy club and everything is like turning up bartowski everything is great and there's this little scene where uh Chuck watches a video and it's it's from Decker, the douche from the CIA saying this is all, you know, you think you're doing good but you're not. Spy 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 stuff. Um there's a box of his personal belongings that the CIA allegedly dropped off and and it's just like I'm passing, you see it there. So after they decide that they're going to do this little spy club, Morgan is doing a monologue to camera. Okay? Now, actually to the right of camera. So he's just like talking out loud or thinking out loud. And he looks in a box, in the box, and he sees a pair of sunglasses. He's like, yeah, like Aww. new life, new sunglasses. What could go wrong? And he pops on the sunglasses and it's an intersect. And it gives Morgan the intersect. That's where dun, the next dun, dun. season starts off. <laughs> and I'm done. What a show. I love this show. <laughs> yeah, later seasons were uh, a little uneven for the show, and they always, like, didn't quite, you know, it was like, you never quite know if it was going to come back, but they always did a good job of, like, if it didn't come back, it would be okay. Yeah, it, it would be okay. There was one point in this episode that I don't know, I, it, I'm glad that you did an earlier episode that you we knew that Scott Bakula was his father, because mm-hmm. when they're in the limo and he opens up the envelope and he reads what's the gift, he looks dead in the camera and goes, oh, boy. And that's that show, The Quantum Leap. Scott Bakula did that every episode. I'm like, see, like, this is what Chuck does. This is what this show does. It's little Easter eggs for people like 
us that watch stupid amount of television or know pop culture stuff. It's such a good show. Very, very entertaining. Highly worth a watch on Netflix and now. We should say that, you know, in the course of like getting ourselves prepared for this episode, some of us fell into a Netflix hole and practically rewatched the whole show. All of us did. <laughs> because it's very easy to do because this show is so good the, the, okay we i fell into a netflix hole and then you asked me what show i'm going to talk about today and i really thought i was just going to talk about chuck and i'm like christ the only other thing i watched this week was the ranch so i have to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> so i think we're good um anything else uh no no, no? Good. all right so recap you guys was it i know kung fu <laughs> That's so, see, like that's a thing. Like, that was a thing. Um, all right, recap. Tony Awards. Yay! Yay! Dragon. Yay, Hamlet. <laughs> Hashtag. Oh my god, that's a joke for like Hamilton fans. Sorry. Chris, Dragon Ball Super. Absolutely. Uh, I'm gonna pass on the ranch. I, I'll go with the pass the ranch dressing. French, even Thousand Island. And we all agree that Chuck is very much worth it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it's good. Good suggestion for what to do with your summer. Yeah, very, very good suggestion. And they go by quick. I don't remember any episodes like just seriously dragging. Like none of the every, all of the seasons flowed really well. They sort of all each season was independent, so it's a good show to watch. So check it out, Chris. Hang on, he's yawning. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Hi, Evan. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Well, yourself? Not bad. Say, did you know that you can get in touch with us at com as well as all flavors of social media that we inhabit? I did. Did you know that you can like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, at Geekade, subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels for our latest video content, and follow us on Twitter at the underscore Geekade? I did. Did you also know that you can find us individually on Twitter? And then I am at Geekade Chris, that's Geekade K-R-I-S, and Karen is at... Shoot underscore the underscore moon. And you are at... Geekade underscore Evan? No, I didn't know that. Did you also know that we have a MySpace page? We do. We don't. <laughs> we that's don't? A, that's we a get, lie. We have to get on that. We do. <laughs> but if you're interested in more information about any of the things we discussed tonight, be sure to check out the show notes that I work diligently on diligently and while you're at it you can also subscribe to this and any of other other wonderful podcasts on itunes and or stitcher where if you're super super nice <laughs> you can leaves us a reviews five five d stars if possibly be because any and all fled back is appreciated and come well whoa yes giggity <laughs> Oh, Back to you, Evan. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Geekade! Geekade! Check it. Um, Karen, I, 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 just, I just wanted to mention this. I don't know if you're friends with... Uh, it's I don't know. What's Ahmed? Ahmed? Ahmed. The the kid that we... The guy that we used to work with at, at the game store. Is it Ahmed? The name is familiar. Ahmed. Ahmed. Yeah, from, from, yeah, from the old GameStops. The old GameStops. He made a comment on Facebook today that made me think of you. And it was the one thing that's really wrong with where the, I work is how many people don't understand that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's too bad for him. All right. Uh, 
television. Watch it. We like it. Come back next week. Same channel and YouTubes and all of that stuff. Look at our social medias and <sighs> at some point in time, we're we get we got a, a very nice email from a listener that uh, I think I'm going to try to work on for us. Uh, he mentions a, a Gotham request. Now that is a tall order for me. Because I got a lot of it to watch, but I'm gonna don't make me watch God Ham. I'm not gonna make you watch. I don't got ham. <laughs> I'm not gonna make you watch it. I I will take the bullet. Uh, the only ham I got is a dot ham. Oh. There's another Hamilton joke for you, Evan. <laughs> cut me off. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. So, from all of us here at this week's episode, I'm Evan. I'm Karen. Why is my hair green now? <laughs> Goodbye. Good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of This Week's Episode. I am your host, Evan Oldstein, and with me, as always, is the ever-exceptional Karen Randazzo. I'm sorry, you said Evan Oldstein. Evan Oldstein. <laughs> no, I said Evan Goldstein. <laughs> I, know, I do know my well, name. Well, you swallowed the G. <laughs> All right, then. Fine. <laughs> hey, we're just trying to help you out. You want to be Oldstein? I guess that's fine with us. <laughs> this is going to be a long night. I could feel it already. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was just Skype, but we both heard Old Steam, and it was really funny. <laughs> Bravo on this show image, honey. <laughs> I was just scrolling Bravo. past it, like, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of that one. <laughs> it didn't even take very long. It was like, oh, the, good, Zachar- the, the Zachary cut in, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I was really happy that the the trunks image that I found, he happened to be looking in the exact same direction as that character that I put the head on. Like that, the head just fit flawlessly nice. on there. Right. And the uh, image of Ashton Kutcher that you put, <laughs> um, he's wearing a red bandana, and so is the guy who's wearing a bandana. I don't think it's red. Yeah, he's, I think it was like a tan bandana. He's also a black guy. I felt kind of bad about that, but. <laughs> Of course, there- I made somebody else's head a Tony Awards. So. <laughs> and this concludes our broadcast day.